and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking. I'm Delia Delore and each week we dissect a popular motto, mantra or metaphor, looking at their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. We also have a special guest who can speak about their resonance with their chosen expression. My metaphor today is a simple expression, just one word, an exclamation that's become very common in just the last decade or so, and we've all experienced it at some point in our lives, when we are disappointed and sometimes when we regret our actions, but mostly when someone or something else has interfered with our plans. In a word, our metaphor is gutted. I'm excited to delve into what lies behind this expression, but what is it that makes it a metaphor? As we'll see, it's because it's not to be taken literally. When we say we're gutted, we can't really mean it as a matter of fact. It's just one of those expressions that uses huge exaggeration to make a point, in this case, that we are very, very disappointed. It's a great example of hyperbole or over-the-top language. How are you feeling? Gutted. Gutted, Joe. Yeah, it's, um, you know, as I said, I'm pretty gutted. And honestly, I'm gutted. I'm, I'm absolutely gutted, but... I don't know where to start. I'm absolutely gutted. We use the word gutted in many contexts, and it always has much the same exaggerated meaning. Distraught, destroyed, defeated, devastated not just disappointed, but tragically disappointed. So what is this literal meaning then, the meaning that didn't involve exaggeration, that carries such power? Well, let's start with a lovely word, entrails. Liver, kidney, spleen, stomach, and others. And last, but definitely not least, the small and large intestines. I do hope you weren't just about to eat, and particularly if you are vegetarian. But the distate and even shock value is all part of how we perceive those bits of our bodies that are always hidden from view, or at least we hope they will be. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. We'll come to that shock value again, but for now, I'd like to narrow the focus and home in on the essential body parts that are the source of today's metaphor. All right, let's zoom in a bit closer on the entrails then. Like all animals, one of our most basic instincts is avoiding foods that will make us ill. We seem to know what's dangerous to eat without being taught, and that's probably where we get the phrase gut instinct. Scientists learn more about our anatomy every day, And every day it becomes more apparent how wondrously complex the body is. From the first breath we take to the last we that leaves us when we die, good health is when all the systems work together, from the sensory alarms in the nervous system to the churning hydrochloric acid in the stomach. Indeed, the only exception to this is the reproductive system, upon which none of our other bodily functions depend. Skeletal muscular, circulatory nervous, digestive and excretory, reproductive respiratory, immune, lymphatic, renal or urinary, endocrine and integumentary. 
Inside, under the skin, we're all pretty much the same. We all have a digestive system to extract energy and nutrients from our food and lungs to take oxygen from the air, blood to transport these things to where they're needed, a heart to pump it around, and a bunch of bits to deal with waste. Of all of these, the digestive system is the most complex and at its core are the intestines, which gently squeeze all our solid food along extracting what goodness there is and getting rid of the rest. We're digestive and excretory. Welcome to the intestine loop. Turn food into energy. I turn the rest into poop. Look at the human body. It's a waste processing plant near a recreation area. How intelligent is that? Now we're getting to the real guts of the matter, if you'll pardon the pun. The intestines or guts form the longest section of the human digestive tract. From stomach to colon, this tube of muscle is estimated to be about 10 meters long in an adult. Rugby players will know straight away how long that is. But for some other sporty listeners, it's roughly the same length as a squash court. And to use a measurement that's very common in British media, it's about the same length as a London bus. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The guts are curled up inside each one of us and doing vital work even when we're asleep. Its job really is both life-giving and life-saving. Small wonder then that next to our heart, our digestive system can be considered to be the core of life itself and their importance is obvious from the metaphors they have inspired and we'll mention some of those later. Here's an amusing experiment if we take the word soul out of some other metaphors or mottos and replace it with the word guts. The meaning is pretty much unchanged. For example, brevity is the guts of wit, or the music's got no guts, or what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own guts? I'll leave it at that, but maybe you can think of some other examples. Words have no more meaning, Terry. We're running out of time, man. You gotta make a call. But what if I choose wrong? I mean, that's a terrible way to start off a marriage. People won't even watch our first dance. They're gonna be too busy laughing at the napkins. You just have to trust your gut. What is your gut telling you? That I'm a terrible napkin chooser and will therefore be a horrible spouse. That is not your gut. That is your crazy nonsense brain. Trust me, Jay. You know the right napkin. Is it this one? With that crimping? No way. Oh my God, what did I just do? You listen to your gut. Yes, I have a gut. My groom gut. Every groom has one. You just had to buy yours. Okay. The point here is that the gut is considered to have powers beyond a mere factory and power station. In the history of nearly every culture in the world, a few body parts have been identified as the home of personality and our most primitive drives thought to be controlled by these. The idea that intellect and reason and the brain is the key to who we are is a very modern invention. Well, I don't want to go too far into that discussion. It could last forever. We'll come back to our metaphor again, but right now I'd like to introduce my guest for today, the very talented Amarachi. Amarachi Clark has a background in politics, charity and digital project management, but she was also the vice president at the National Union of Students, where she represented 7 million students across the UK to the government. She then went on to work for the charity Comic Relief, where she pioneered a sub-brand of the charity, which showed Africa in a positive life. Emma is also the founder of London's first bean-to-bar chocolate maker, together with her husband, Andy. 
So thank you for joining, metaphorically speaking. I'm thrilled to talk to you and you look absolutely wonderful. I love your colors. <laughs> so it's not really about the colors, it's about you, it's about our metaphor. And our metaphor this week is a, a very, I'd say an unusual one. It's a, a one-worded thing and my it's not a metaphor, but I think that most words, especially in the way that they are used these days, and especially throughout different cultures, they mean different things, and so they can be metaphors. So what does the word and the metaphor gutted mean to you? How does that resonate to you? So for me, um, gutted doesn't quite mean regret. It just kind of means a bit of disappointment. Um, and I think we've all been through quite a lot of that. And it's something that you can be disappointed by, but also learn from. I guess whether you learn from it or not, kind of it comes with time. But um, for me, gutted does mean um, disappointment rather than regret. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you said it's about if people actually learn from it. Because I find a lot of the time we are aware of things that disappoint us. We just shrug it off and say, oh, well. And then it happens again and you think, oh, well, or you think, oh, it's happened to me again. You don't yeah. stop and think, oh, well, I've learned from this. It's never going to happen to me again. Or you might say it at the time, but then when it happens again, you forget and you do it again. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing is that with me, um, for something to trigger that kind of emotion, you don't want to feel like that anymore. You don't want to feel gutted anymore on that specific thing. For me personally, I would I would change things. I would I would learn from from those I guess you could call them mistakes, but you you would learn from what happened to get you to that point of being gutted and how you would change it. Do you have any particular moments that you can remember about being gutted? Yeah, there's two specific points. Uh, I don't know if I can tell two stories. Um, I'll, I'll be quite quick. And the first one was when I was quite young. Um, I was in my early 20s. Um, I used to be the vice president of the National Union of Students. So we were representing all these students around the country at university and college level. Um, and I had just finished that and I really was um, keen on being a political campaigner um, and maybe in the future becoming an MP or something like that. And I really wanted to try and see where this political career would go. Like I said, I just finished my um, my my term at the National Union of Students, and in my local Labour Party, we were coming up to council elections, and I was a member of my local Labour Party in Tower Hamlets, and I went to the meetings, and I said, you know what, I think I want to be a councillor, and I would love to be a councillor in the same because at the time I um, I had moved into. Um, the place where I used to live when I was much younger, paying my parents' rent. Um, they didn't live there, but they still owned this flat. And so I was paying them rent. So I was still, I lived in a flat that I was, um, that I grew up in. So I wanted to be a councillor for the area that I grew up in. And so basically at that point, um, the Labour Party were doing lots of interviews for who would be um, a prospective candidate. And I was shortlisted. And then the night before um, they brought out the long list of names, they had a meeting and the next day they, they produced the names. And I think the thing, I wasn't on the list and I was gutted by that, but I, but I wasn't on the list. 
And I and I remember thinking, what did I do wrong? Um, I'm really hungry. I'm really ambitious. I really want to do this. These are, when when I say you learn from them, you try and find out what actually happened. And what actually happened was quite a bad story. They there were only two Nigerian names on the list, and they mixed us up. So they confused us. So the per the person that ended up in the space was a person that wasn't supposed to be there and then I ended up not getting that that um that slot so I think I was really gutted by that and I was quite angry and I think from then onwards I started thinking about what does politics actually mean if they can make mistakes like this the Labour Party why what what does politics actually mean to me what 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 am I doing and why do I want to be here and I think I learned from that and saying that politics isn't the only way to change the world and then fast forward all these years I'm I've now got Lukoko and I'm trying to change the world through um through chocolate um so I think that there are key points in my life where I've been gutted and has made me do a sharp kind of pivot and that was one of them um so that was when I was a bit younger and the second the second one was um when I kind of started Lukoko um, and the aims of Lukoko is all about showing people the truth side of chocolate what does it actually taste like because chocolate's like wine and coffee different regions create different flavors and I want and you don't really get that on the commercial market you only get kind of bitter and too sweet and those are the really non the dimensions you get um, and it was also about eradicating child and slave labor within the just supply chain so I was quite early in my Lukoko life and people are saying to me, yeah, you know, you've got to give 30 days, um, 30 days um, for payment. So you submit an invoice, you give them the product and then within 30 days they pay you back. And I thought, this doesn't sound right. Um, logic doesn't make this sound right, but I guess with businesses based on a lot of trust and that people will do things that they say they're going to do. And I got this quite big order and it was for when I started out and it was quite it was for seven about around seven or eight hundred pounds. And I did the order and I met the person face to face. I sat down, I had lots of meetings with them, I made the order, I sent the order, I sent the invoice, and then they refused to pay. And they were in space in Scotland. I was so gutted because the business really needed that money at that time in the early days. Um and I I think I at that point I just thought I, what what can I do and it turns out obviously that the UK law is England and Wales and as one and Scotland is different and Northern Ireland is different so I there was hardly any way I was going to get my money back so I think from there I learned that actually how do you vet people it just made my the ways I did business very different to how they were then it was kind of based on the fact that that's what everybody did and trust was trust and that was how the business should run but that isn't always the case they're my two things that I was gutted by um and how I learned from it and and how it shaped me one as a person and two kind of like how I do business I think they were very interesting stories and I should say when I say story it's a life story so it's not something you're made up go on and talk about well what happened I'm sure people are listening and thinking well, what happened how do you know <laughs> and unfortunately listeners we can't go into that but <laughs> we can ask you how did the idea of glucoco come up so back in 2014 um 
Well, in 20, yeah, I used to, I used to run. I used to run a lot. I used to run half marathons, marathons, me and my friends and um, part of a running crew. We used to run around the world. We used to run in kind of like Copenhagen, Berlin, Paris. Like we used to run all over the country, all over the world. Um, and then I signed up to do um, San Francisco Women's Marathon. Um, that was going to be my first marathon. Long story short, I ran the marathon and I couldn't walk at the end of it. So during that marathon, I'd done something to my foot. Um, I don't know what it was. I went to the foot doctor and, but also because I was so into food and health and wellness and st sort of stuff, it was all about how can food also be a healer? And I started reading quite a lot of different things about different sugars and different foods and chocolate was one of those. And then I stumbled across it and the more I read, the more I was like really fascinated by what chocolate was. I tried to find some of this chocolate people were talking about, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And you'd go to the shop and suddenly you realise actually chocolate isn't what we think it is. You, you go to the supermarket, you see all this chocolate on the shelf. Most of it, I'd say 95% of it is not made by that company. Most of it is all made by one or two companies and they will burn the cocoa beans that's how you kind of get bitter chocolate and then when you think about milk chocolate you think it's too sweet but you've got to kind of overcompensate with a lot of vegetable oil and lots of kind of sugar to make it to get rid of that burn flavor so I thought so where's all this nuanced flavor and then like I said I was a I was a campaigner um and then I started reading about um child and slave labor predominantly in West Africa um and I just thought how how are we doing this? Like, how are we here that we are okay to have child slave labor within the supply chain of one of the biggest foods that we eat in the UK? We eat so much of it and we know nothing about it. So then I just said, well, you can lobby, you can go and write to your MP, you can go and tell these companies to go and do what they should be doing, or you can try and change it by proving that it can be done. So that's how it started. Um, and I started in my, at that point, we were in a one bedroom flat in, in Belsize Park. And then we moved to a two bedroom flat in, um, in Stoke Newington. And in a two bedroom flat, we then converted the second bedroom into a chocolate factory. So in the first, in the first place where we were living for a, for a few months before we moved, we were making it and the flat was so hot. So everything would fail. When in the second place, we converted that. Um, second bedroom into a chocolate factory and there you go we had a quarter of a ton of cocoa beans turn up at the door and then I remember googling that at night what do you do with cocoa beans if the if if you don't use them all because at that point you always back yourself but you always at the back of your mind thinking what if this whole thing fails and so I I was googling what how to dispose of cocoa beans before I'd even started mm -hmm. But I launched at a chocolate show March 2015 and then became London's first bean to bar chocolate maker. And then this, it's just grown from there. Um, then I moved house. We bought a house um, further east in East London. And then I converted my outbuilding into a chocolate factory. And now um, I've got a uh, kind of like built factory in South East London. Um, in Bermondsey where we make produce that's our office space that's our distribution or for online wholesale and everything's there but the idea came from the fact that 
we weren't being told the true story. We weren't being told what real chocolate tastes like and that I wasn't satisfied with the fact that we were able to allow child or slave labour within our supply chains um, and us be okay with that. So I want to change that. So that's how the cocoa came about. Can you remember that aha moment when you thought, I'm going to do this. And you keep saying we, so who's we? <laughs> yeah, I know. Some, do you know what? In the in the span of Lococo, um, I always say we because me and my husband started it. He was never going to give up his job, but I was really passionate and I knew that at some point I would give up my job to go do this full time. Um, and then the more help we got um, from family and friends, um, the we still stayed there. And now we've got Kind of like employees and and people that kind of help around who aren't necessarily in the factory every day um so yeah that's the we so you basically started from scratch with no kind of education it was just the passion the anger of you know what was happening and you've put it all together but there must have been financial considerations how do you then encourage or discuss with your husband you know we've got to find this you know financial outlay to put into something that I'm not sure but I really believe it's going to work because I believe in it so much how does that work yeah and you know what that's a really good question because there's so many people that start businesses and suddenly they just mushroom or you may start a business at the same time as someone and you can just see them in the corner of your eye Um, And then three years down the line, they're just massive. And one thing I always try and do is never compare myself to anybody's business and nobody's business that are inside my own industry, because everybody's story is different. For for me personally, it was I was working full time. So I used to be um, a project manager at UNICEF and I used to run their biggest fundraiser which was a um something called soccer aid which is a football match on itv um where they have like retired football players and celebrities and they kind of like um england versus the rest of the world and they play football to raise money for unicef and so that was my job and at that point i was working full-time so i would wake up really early go and do my deliveries and then get to work at the right time and then go home and then do the making and picking and packing and stuff like that so that's where a lot of the money was coming from so the business could sustain itself there was no kind of like there's no investment there's still no investment at the minute it's really difficult to get bank loans so we solely rely on the business kind of like looking after itself and this is why I always say never compare yourself to other people because some people are fortunate and lucky and it's great for them that they can get quite a lot of investment quite quickly, but that's mm-hmm. not the case um, for Lococo. So to answer your question financially, it was the business was being paid from my wage. Um, so until it was able, the engine was able to turn on where it can start mm-hmm. looking after itself after it grew quite a lot. So how do people find Lococo? It's it's relatively new. It's, you know, not uh, made in, in bulk. So this is very specialist chocolate or cocoa that you have. How do people find out about you then? If you go to our website, which is lucocochocolate.com. Can you spell out the website for us, the people who are like thinking, oh, you haven't spelled it out? It's lucocochocolate, that's L-U-C-O-C-O-A, then chocolate.com. So yeah, 
that's kind of how to find us. Um, every single one of our bars takes three days to make, so it does take a long time to make our, our chocolate, um, but it's definitely worth it when you, when you taste it and you have the different flavour profiles and kind of taste how chocolate's supposed to be. Well, you know what? I, like many people, I love chocolate. I, I have um, uh, eaten chocolate from all over the world because I travel a lot. Mm. When I get to London, which is going to be very soon, I'm going to ensure I get chocolates and I think of biscuits because I love biscuits as well. I'm going to look and I'm going to try and I'm going to give you my honest opinion about it. What do you think? Thank you. I, well, I will welcome that. Well, I welcome reviews. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's another metaphor. You can't please all of the people all of the time. But exactly. at the same time, I, I do understand and appreciate that uh, if you have constructive feedback, then of course, you know, yes. you, you take that into account. But anyway, that's by the by. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, wasn't that fascinating? We have a bit more time now to delve into our metaphor again. And I'm guessing the uh, gutters doesn't just quite cover it for you. I mean, how are you feeling? I don't know about you. Everybody I'm talking to is absolutely gutted by that. I'm gutted. I'm gutted. gutted. Absolutely gutted. No, I'm gutted. I'm also, I'm sure. I think it's just gutting to lose the match. It's just gutting. We've looked at what the guts are and what they do and how important they are. We're all very conscious of some bodily functions, the obvious ones like breathing, movement, heartbeat, and the five senses. But even when we sit down to spend the time, we'd often rather not think about the work of our gut. When we're healthy, our digestive system just gets on doing its thing, hidden from view, working around the clock like a factory to produce the necessary materials and energy for all the other processes and getting rid of the waste products. The gut, it seems, has always been recognised as crucial to our health and well-being. I like the way one 17th century writer described it. Wherein doth dwell the soul of man, the engines and tubes arrayed. That was a little bit of fairly recent history, music from Devo there. Like we heard earlier, gut feeling is just one of the many metaphors that reference the digestive system and connect various parts of our character or feelings to what we can politely call our insides from stomach to colon. For example, when I'm nervous, I often get butterflies in my tummy. When I'm angry, I may have a good bellyache with someone about it. Disgust can be stomach churning and fear can often be gut wrenching or visceral. Reacting to fear with bravery or courage is commonly referred to as having guts. Whereas when a person shies away from a challenge, they may be accused of being gutless. One final metaphor about fear that has to get a mention because it's so commonly used relates to just the lowest section of the guts. Oh yeah, mate. That giant roller coaster over in GC? I don't mind telling you. It scared the living shit out of me. Just idly thinking about the word gut when it's used as a verb, as with you must gut fish before cooking, it has a very unusual property in the English language. We might think that the word de gut is the opposite, but gut and de gut 
both mean exactly the same thing. Take out the entrails. Not very many words have this quality. Flammable and inflammable are curious in this way too. Maybe you can think of some more examples. I'm going to bring in one more gut metaphor here and I'll leave it to this scene from the TV series Supernatural. You to torture me? You got one chance. One. Tell me who's killing the angels. I want a name. You think I'll see all your scary toys and spill my guts? Oh, you'll spill your guts one way or another. I just didn't want to ruin my shoes. One character is talking about revealing facts that he's been keeping secrets. But his torturer turns the phrase around to its literal meaning with a heavy twist of black humour. And this brings us to the most gruesome image of all. And it's the one that comes straight from the history books. Where better and when better for the origins of a juicy metaphor with a gory past than medieval Europe? You've probably heard the expression hung, drawn and quartered. And you know it was a way of putting someone to death. Back in those days, however, the death sentence was anything but the so-called quick and painless options that most of the world uses today. In fact, the more serious the crime, the longer, more painful and more drawn out the process would be. It was designed not just to kill, but to inflict as much agony as possible too. To be honest, I'd rather not go into all the gory detail of hanging and quartering, but understanding the middle of the three tortures will demonstrate the literal meaning of the metaphor. Here goes. After being taken from the gallows, still alive, the victim would be held down while his belly was slit open. Then he'd be disemboweled. His entrails would be drawn or pulled gently out of his body, still connected and arranged around him. This was the part in the religious dogma of the day where his sinful soul was being put on display. The victim could be left like this for hours without dying, but whether or not he died, the quartering would ensure one more thing, that his soul could not go to heaven. In modern times, of course, Eternal damnation isn't necessarily taken so seriously as this irreverent clip from the 1960s illustrates. We could do with lightening the mood, I think. Sorry, mate. No room in here for the lot of you. Get down below to the fire and the brimstone and the worms that eat you up from the inside. Well, joking aside, the next time I see someone looking a little peaky, I may hesitate to say they look drawn. It's part of human nature, perhaps, to think of ourselves as more sophisticated than people in days gone by. Not that long ago, it was believed that our health was a matter of balance between four basic elements, blood, phlegm, and two types of bile. These were linked to the four basic elements that were supposed to make up the whole universe, air, water, fire, and earth. Well... It's a good thing that we don't hold with these beliefs anymore. But I suppose some parts of the world, there must be some of it that is still in existence to a certain part. I grew some to think about. Anyway, we're much further advanced, aren't we? 
By the same token, we know that our personalities come from our brains, our upbringing, our genes. So we've given up thinking that, for example, emotions come from our hearts, or have we? Well, maybe not entirely, because we continue to use the same symbolism and even direct metaphor. There are lots of common phrases that refer to our entrails, and usually they're associated with our emotions or our character. Listen to this last clip talking about conviction, courage, and determination, for example. Yeah, I like Johnny. He's got a lot of heart. And he got guts, too. But you, kid, you just don't got the stomach for this kind of work, you know? I'm letting you go, kid. You understand me? You're out of the organization. I'm letting you go. I hope you've been able to stomach our topic today. And I hope I've been able to make it a bit clearer why the expression gutted is a metaphor and why it really is exaggerated and over the top. And I must say a huge thank you to our writer, David McDade, who did all the research and put it all together in such a way that it really made me start thinking about growing up, the things that I've taken for granted. And when I say growing up, I'm talking about the education I received about my gut. I'm not sure whether I was taught it that way or maybe as I've got older, I've forgotten it. But it has made me think about as an adult taking my gut for granted, really, and just eating and expecting it to do what it's supposed to do. So thank you so much, David McDade, for your wonderful reference in finding us all those lovely audio references to and for a wonderful script. And you know, when we think about gutted, and we think that it is exaggerated and over the top, but yes, it, it, it can be to a certain extent. In fact, we use this kind of hyperbole a lot in everyday speech. So I hope you really forgive me when I say that I really hope you enjoyed this script, you enjoyed this show, and that you'll join us again next week for another metaphor. And if you don't, I'd really be gutted. Thanks for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in again for the next one. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor, a motto or a proverb for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. We'd love you to share the show with your friends and please feel free to leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Don't forget to join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Dee Dee Delore. Until then, take care. Goodbye.